You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. If you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, we'll look at verses 13 through 18 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, please pull out the notes provided for you uh, in your bulletin. We encourage you uh, to have an open Bible, an open mind, an open heart. We want to preach God's Word to you, so search the Scriptures with us. And then also, if you're watching online or even if you're, you're here presently with us, uh, if you download the Version Bible app, that's Y-O-U version. And after you download it, go to the More tab, tap Events, Five Mount Carmel Baptist Church in today's 11 o'clock service. You can click on that. And much of the notes, quotes, and references that are in your uh, bulletin that are provided are on that app as well. I do have one encouragement these notes are also available online at our website, mtcarmeldemers.com forward slash notes. Uh, the, the part that's probably the most significant in, in our pages today that are not on the app, there is a quote chart of all the references that Paul alludes to in the Old Testament in this text. So that's in the pages that we possess. And if you want those, if you're watching online and you want to see that chart, uh, you'll need to go to our website and find the notes page and download Sunday morning notes, all right? Romans chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. I want to preach to you a sermon I've entitled, Head to Toe. Head to Toe. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse was for half a century one of the most widely acclaimed American preachers. He pastored the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia from 1927 to his death in 1960. In a certain city in central Pennsylvania, listeners were attempting to get his radio program from a distant station broadcasting on a wavelength so near to that of another station that the two programs sometimes overlapped. From New York, a certain minister was preaching his sermon while Dr. Barnhouse was preaching his. And that's what was overlapping, these two sermons. Friends told Barnhouse that a woman trying to unscramble uh, unscramble the two broadcasts said this, If I hear a voice talking about the dignity of human personality, I know I have the New York station. If the voice says that a man must be born again, I know I have Dr. Barnhouse. Dr. Barnhouse wrote, I am convinced that the ministry which seeks to exalt mankind in the end does no good for mankind. On the contrary, the ministry which will reach the truths of man's complete ruin in sin and God's perfect remedy in Christ can best reach the heart of the need of the human race and can bring only the remedy that can heal the heart which God has declared to be humanly incurable. Amen. That's the truth. 
In Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 10, the Apostle Paul has called God as his witness to testify against humanity's toxic relationship with sin. We all, you and I, are in the grip of evil. Our souls are deprived of the power to resist sin and do good. People are not inherently good according to a Christian biblical worldview. J.C. Ryle notes Archbishop Layton, he says, The way of sin is downhill and man uh, cannot stop where he wants to. We exist in a state theologians call total depravity. God considers the members of our body, every part of humanity, to be servants of sin instead of glorifying Him and helping others. Our nature is permeated with evil. We are collaborators with evil. Sin lives in people and people live in sin. The entire human race is in rebellion against God and that includes you and me. There are no exceptions. This is a bold claim, and this is the biblical statement. This is God's witness against us. The question is, what we've been answering last Sunday and this Sunday, is what's the proof? What's the symptoms of this sin sickness? What's the evidence that we all are evil from head to toe? Let's look at Romans chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 this morning. It says this, and he's speaking about us. This is God speaking about all of us. He says, Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. Verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The simple truth that we want to unpack and take away this morning is that we all are evil from head to toe. We all are evil from head to toe. And what we're going to ask is, what's the evidence? How so? Paul is giving us God's viewpoint We should not minimize the expectations of a holy God because of our own opinion of ourselves. I'm not giving uh, you my opinion about humanity or Paul's not even giving you his. Notice what it says there in verse 10, as it is written. He is going back to the Old Testament scriptures. That's why I referenced that quote chart. And seeing what God has said about humanity and is applying it to us all. God sees our sin running up, notice this, running up our throats, down our tongues, and out our lips and mouth. He sees sin swift on our feet and blinding our eyes. God created all of these limbs and organs, all of these faculties to glorify and enjoy Him. Yet evil rules us and ruins us from head to toe. That's what God says. The first evidence that we see, which is technically evidence number four from last week's sermon, is this. Everyone speaks corruptly. Write it down. Everyone speaks corruptly. Our speech shows the extent of evil. 
Our speech, our words show the extent of total depravity. It's not, it doesn't mean utter depravity, that every person is as, is as bad as they can be, but total depravity meaning that it permeates every aspect of us. Sin has tainted even our words. The verse, these verses match the sequence of organs that people use when they speak. Notice the throat, the tongue, the lips, the mouth. The Bible also teaches us where these words come from. Jesus tells us where our words come from. Listen to what Matthew 12, 34 says. This is Jesus speaking. He says, brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? Notice what he said. You are evil. For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So we have evil hearts... And what does that produce? It permeates our nature and even taints the words that we will say to people. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, our throats are open graves. Our talk is foul, like the stench of an open grave. Imagine coming upon an open grave with the smell of a rotting, decomposing corpse rising to your face. Now, I'm not talking about people who don't brush their teeth, all right? I'm talking about people that this is what their mouths are. When they open them up to speak, this is what God experiences. That's why God compares our words to having a lethal effect. They have a lethal effect. God gave us words so that we might show forth His praise. And yet you and I take the gift of words and use it in service to our evil and sinful nature. Our tongues deceive. The Greek word here means to flatter with the intention to do evil. We hang our words out there as bait to mislead people and make them to think that we are honest when in fact we're not trustworthy at all. Venom drips from our lips. Vipers uh, contain venomous poison in a small sack at the base of their tongue. Their tongue strikes and it poisons everything in sight. We strike each other with venomous words. Our mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. The word cursing refers to the act of invoking God's judgment on others with evil intent. We do this. This happens all the time. We do this when we utter God's name in a derogatory slang to others and against others. And sadly, let's just be honest, and I'm I'm not here just to look at other people. I think we're all guilty of this, but this has become the everyday language of America. It's not hard to see. There is no honor or respect for the name of God. And then their mouths are also full of bitterness. Bitterness is self-pitying, suppressed anger that stews and smolders deep down inside a person, and it eventually spews out their mouth. Bitter people. Our speech ranges from profanity, cursing, swearing, dirty jokes, immoral suggestions to outright false teaching. What we considered a mild word, sadly, just using God's blessed name in vain, is a heinous offense to God. God's case against you and me is that our mouths are full of evil. The second evidence, which would be the fifth evidence in this line, would be everyone acts corruptly. 
everyone acts corruptly. Our actions show the extent of evil. Our actions display total depravity. Notice the the emphasis here when it says their feet are swift to shed blood. God sees in you and me an eagerness to shed blood, to hurt, harm, and hate our neighbors. That we're quick to do that. Not only is homicide offensive to God, but the speed at which we engage in hurting other people. We're quick to do it. We're quick to retaliate. We are eager for this form of wrongdoing. Our words and actions show we have no respect for life made in the image of the Creator. And we deface the image of God and other people even by just simply calling them names. That's what Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. But you think about this eagerness to shed blood. The first child born into this world Cain, the first son in this world, Cain, murdered his own brother Abel. Things have gotten no better since then. In fact, the only thing that's gotten better is that we've gotten better at murder as a society. Ruin and wretchedness or destruction and misery, they're in our path. Wherever we go, we destroy people and we cause grief for one another. It's our way of life. We don't just engage in wrong acts occasionally. We live destructively. And our characteristic, think about this wretchedness or misery. It's saying this, that our characteristic, what defines us is we are unhappy. We're unhappy. We're a generation devoted to our own happiness and yet we're still unhappy. And this is the way of man according to God's viewpoint. Utter ignorance of what it means to live peacefully. We don't know the way of peace. Now, the way of peace has been interpreted one of three ways. It either means peace between people in the sense that we hate and attack other people. It can be the experience of peace with God. In fact, we are hostile and at war with God. And we have no peace in our own lives. We're restless and distressed. In this case, it probably the first one fits the context better. That hurtful speech and murderous, murderous ways leave behind misery. But all three relate to one another. It's the absolute truth. When you don't have peace with God, you won't have peace with your family, your neighbors, your community, or peace with yourself. And the whole concept is that this way of peace, living in peace, is completely foreign to unaided human nature. We have no clue what it means to seek and live in peace. It is not only that we don't tread in peace, we don't even know where the path of peace is. And if you think about it, you look at our communities and societies, that's, that's an easy thing to point out. We don't know where peace is. We don't even know where to look for it. Our hype is on bloodshed and even destruction. So everyone... And their speech is corrupt. Everyone in their actions are corrupt. And then evidence number three, and it's also number six, which is the most condemning, is this. No one fears God. No one fears God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Eyes are the organs of vision. 
Do we envision, think about this question I'm about to put before you. Do you envision God's judgment over everything you think, feel, say, and do? Are you conscious of it? I think there's no doubt that if we were conscious of God's judgment of those things, be things we would never try to think and feel and do and say. The root of the universality of total depravity, that we're all evil and in sin, is the lack of fear of God. This is the root issue. Many people in the 21st century have such a benevolent view, a kind view of God. They find it hard to believe that we should fear Him. And this is one of those areas I'm going to be careful because it's, it's I find this ironic that the church wants to tamper and temper the tone of what it means to fear God. We immediately talk about reverence. Well, we mean reverence. I don't see where anybody is getting that in the Bible. We read that into that. Fear in this quotation is not to be understood in the sense of reverence, but terror. We know what terrorism is. Terror. Listen to what Psalm 36, this is the quote. This is where Paul is taking, lifting from the Old Testament in. And notice how the CSB translated it. And it's different in other versions, but it gets to the root idea. It says this, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked person. Notice what it says, dread of God has no effect on him. Dread, terror, fear. James Montgomery Boyce. He put it this way, it is not inappropriate to be actually afraid of the Almighty God. God's wrath hangs over us. His terrible judgment awaits us as a proper recompense for our unatoned sins. I have no problem telling people, you should be afraid of God. You should. Terror. And think about this. I've noticed this. I am deeply afraid of snakes. There is no good snake in my opinion. As soon as we see a snake in my neighborhood, I call Jerry Reddish. I don't want nothing to do with it. And notice how my fear of a snake has changed and modified my behavior. Right? It causes me not to go in certain places, doesn't it? It causes me to mortify things, doesn't it? To kill them. It causes me to be proactive in certain areas. Fear at certain times has good things to it. Think about when 9-11 happened. That's terror. It's fear. And notice how quick the country changed. Right? Change ensued because of fear. And this is so ironic. So we talk about snakes. We talk about an act of of heinous terrorism and it changes an individual's life or an entire country. And yet the Bible is proclaiming there's a far worse fear. God's wrath is coming. And we go about our regular daily lives as if nothing happened. That shows you the evilness, the hostility in our heart. Like, well, just bring it, God. Do you understand who you're talking about? Listen to um, uh, how this is where there's a little bit of theological tension. Exodus 20.20, I do want to show you this fear concept. 
When God came down on Mount Sinai in fire, notice the intention of why he came down on Sinai with thunder and lightning and fire when he gave the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. So Moses responded to the people. The people were afraid. This is our God. And they said this. This is what he said. Don't be afraid. Now this is ironic. Don't be afraid, people. For God has come to test you so that you will fear Him and not sin. Don't be afraid, but He has come to make you afraid. And the point is this, ladies and gentlemen, He does love you, but He will crucify your sin. Do you see that? When it comes to your sin, He has zero tolerance. And that's what He wanted to express. I love my people. I am their God. I will not tolerate their sin. Be afraid. Matthew 10, 28. This is Jesus. Remember the kind, moral, good teacher? Listen to what Jesus says. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's not the devil he's in reference to. That is God himself. So anything, think about all the things we change to protect our physical bodies. What have you done to protect your soul from the wrath of God? Hebrews 10.31, this is the nice summation, I believe, of what it means to be fearful of God. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Terrifying. It's terrifying. And yet, where is our feeling of terror? James Montgomery Boyce, again, he just pegs this perfectly. He says, what irony, listen to this church, to fear these things which pass away eventually. All the things that I'm afraid of in my life, eventually they'll all go away. They will. And at the end of the day, though, you can't get rid of God. You can't get rid of Him. So all these pass away, and yet we don't fear God, to whom all of us must one day give an account. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, You fear mortal men, the sons of men, who are but grass. But you forget the Lord your Maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, and you live in constant terror every day because of the wrath of an oppressor. He means an actual physical enemy. No wonder the psalmist says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord who walk in His way. You're blessed if you fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're going to walk into the right path. But it starts with being terrified of Him. And yet, like he notices here, God says, and no fear is in their vision. None. We walk around blind blind to the wrath that hangs over each one of us. Ask yourself, do you believe that God views the sum of your words and actions as helping or hurting people? We're a little bit more benevolent to ourselves. Like, yeah, I'm a good guy. I, I help people. God said, no, you're hurting people. You're hurting people. Would you consider yourself a peacemaker? And then ask yourself, does God consider yourself a peacemaker? Church, we struggle with this. 
And then do you fear God? Do you fear Him? You ought to fear Him. God tries us by His standard, His standard of His absolute perfection, His holiness. There is no one like Him. And what we see is all of us have sinned. We all have. That's what becomes clearly apparent. And we are in rebellion against God. We don't think about Him. We're not worried about Him. Nothing. When we should be. We're evil. And the only solution, this is where God and His grace come to factor in. Notice how hopeless we are. How helpless we are. We have people walking around every day. Not even aware of the wrath of God. That's how blind we are in sin. And so the only thing that's going to help us is God's divine initiative. It's Him making a choice to go, I can, in justice, execute you all. Or I may make a way of salvation. He's under no compulsion. John Owen said this, The anger of God was such that it could not be averted without the intervention of the atonement. This is the good news. This is where you get to hear of God's love. God sent His Son. Did you hear what I just said? The second person of the Trinity, His Son, Jesus, to this earth. Jesus was and is without sin. Sinless. He did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He is holy. He is righteous. He is perfect. There is no one like him. He is peerless. And he could have looked at humanity and said, that's how you do it. That's not why he did that. He didn't come just to set an example for us. Then Jesus went one step further. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace with God was upon Him and by His wounds we're healed. He bled and died for his sins. That's why we sing. Why do Christians sing about the blood of Jesus? Because with the shedding of his blood, there is the forgiveness of sins for us. It's just synonymous. Jesus' shed blood is forgiveness. So that having died to sins, Jesus' death for our sins, he did that so that we might live, we might live as servants of righteousness. That you might, In this lifetime, use your mind for godly things. (laughs) You might use your mouth to encourage somebody. Isn't that amazing? He died so that you might live right. Our only hope, ladies and gentlemen, your one way out is Jesus. Only He can save us. He is the only way to come to peace. That path of peace, it leads to the cross of Jesus. In Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. God bought us back from evil. In Jesus, God reconciled everything in the world to Himself. Do you understand what God did? He made peace with His wrath when He took it out on Jesus. 
It's a saving justice. That's what's so amazing. It's a saving justice. God is still, you're going to see it later. God is still just and the justifier of sinners. How do you justify sinners? Because he took his wrath out on his son. See, that's the point. There was still somebody who took it all. And it was his own beloved son, the servant king. In Jesus, we have come to know and believe that God loves us. Did you hear that? If you don't have Jesus, we should all, you still should be terrified. Where does the benevolent view of God come from? God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That's how we know God's love. Because Jesus took our wrath. We were far away and we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. He is our peace and he has made all these different groups a new man. He's divided down, he's broke down the wall of hostility between us. And notice this, now Jesus sheds our our feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Christians, you should be quick to run and find peace and help people find peace. And Jesus, we have confidence on the day of judgment. Not because of anything I've said or done. I don't have any confidence in the flesh. I do not boast in myself. There's nothing for us to boast of before a holy God. That's why we go up, we're going to make much of Jesus on judgment day. Get used to it now. There is no fear in love when you're in Jesus. For perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. Listen to me though. You're no longer under punishment. Jesus took your punishment. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, he put it this way. There is nothing in the Bible to make any man fear who puts his trust in Jesus. Nothing in the Bible, did I say? There is nothing in heaven, nothing on earth, nothing in hell that need make you fear who trust in Jesus. The past you need not fear, for it is forgiven you. The present you need not fear, it is provided for you. The future you need not fear, it is secured by the living power of Jesus. Yeah, I mean... It's amazing. God raised Jesus from the dead as proof that all of us can be saved. That we can experience the repentance for the forgiveness of sin in Jesus' name. And my prayer for you today is that God would grant you the grace right now to repent of your unbelief. Acknowledge that you're a sinner that you're in the grip of evil and change your attitude toward your sin and believe, wholly trusting and relying upon Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection for your forgiveness, pardon, and peace with God. I pray that he grants that to you right now. May God convert. Isn't this amazing how the Christian life begins? He does that work in our hearts and then notice one of the first things that happens. He converts our mouth to say, Jesus is Lord. That's when you know that that mouth has turned from evil to God. Jesus is Lord. He is Savior and God. Can you confess that today? The moment you do, you'll be saved. Early in Dr. Barnhouse's ministry, he knew a man who lived near the church to whom he would often speak and share the gospel. This man usually replied to the preacher's message by laughing. 
He did not need the church or any religion, he would say. If I ever meet God, he felt he would be all right. One day, word came that that man had been stricken with a fatal disease and was not expected to live out the day. And Barnhouse went to see him. Barnhouse realized that the situation was desperate and decided on a bold course of action. He sat down by the bed and spoke along these lines. You don't mind me staying here for a few minutes and watching you, do you? I have often wondered what it would be like for a person to die without Jesus Christ. I would like to observe a person in his life with those beliefs and see what it's like. The man looked at Barnhouse like a wounded animal. You wouldn't mock a dying man, would you? Barnhouse then asked, are you going to appear before God in a very short while? And suppose he asks you, what right do you have to come to my heaven? What will you say? This time the man looked back in agonized silence and great tears flowed from his frightened eyes and down his pale wrinkled cheeks. Then while he listened attentively, Barnhouse told him that he might approach God through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. He confessed his faith in Christ and asked Barnhouse to tell his story at his funeral, which took place just a few days later. Jesus, Jesus, do you know him today? Do not turn him away. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to do two things. One, I want to model a prayer for you in which you can pray and call out to Jesus. The significant issue is this prayer has no saving power in and of itself. If you just repeat it after me, it's no different from just quoting your favorite movie line to God. But here is the, the, the significant thing, is when there has been a true change in your heart already under the preaching of the gospel. Or you acknowledge you're a sinner. I am a sinner. I am under the wrath of God. And then you trust Jesus to save you. That you believe God raised him from the dead, has given him the only name for forgiveness of sin. And if you believe that, you recognize Jesus is God. He's not dead. He's alive. He hears our thoughts and whispers. That you actually can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That you can be pardoned. The Holy Spirit can come into your life and God can grant you eternal life. You said that sounds too easy. Yes, it's like yes and no. The Christian life is difficult. You're embarking on a journey and following Jesus and it's not easy. But here's the part is salvation, pardon, and forgiveness have all been made available through the work of Jesus, not your work. And that's what we're trusting. We're trusting Jesus. So if you're ready to confess to Jesus, I am a sinner, you throw your hands up in the air, right? I'm guilty as charged. I surrender. And you're ready to entrust your life and your eternity to Christ? Then would you just simply say this prayer? Repeat this prayer quietly in your heart to Him. Just say, Dear Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner under your judgment. And I fear your wrath. But I believe you love me because you sent your son, Jesus, to come to this earth, 
live a sinless life, something I can never do. And then he shed his blood and died on the cross to erase all my sin. And to prove it, he raised him from the dead. Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my life. I give my life to you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, here I want to tell you what Jesus said is our next step after we make this private confession and commitment. We go public with it. And the way that Jesus has designated we go public with this private confession and commitment to him is through baptism. Baptism, when we go under the water, it shows that we believe and identify with Jesus' death for our sins. And then when we come up out of the water, we're saying we believe and identify with Jesus' resurrection and that he's forgiven us and given us new life and eternal life. And my encouragement to you is that if you've never been baptized, fill out that tear-off panel. On the back, there's a little box that says baptism. Check it off. Drop it in the drop box. Give me just a chance to talk to you about baptism. You can text BELIEVE to our text and church number. You can go to our website and find the baptism form. Fill it out. All I'm asking is just give me a chance to talk to you about baptism. That's your next right step. The last thing that I want us to do for those who are believers, I hope you cherish the gospel message today. I hope you know that you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. And I want you to hear this prayer. I've been reading this book called Prayers of the Puritans. It is amazing. I encourage you to go buy it. That's Piercing Heaven, Prayers of the Puritans. And this is from Isaac Ambrose. It's in your notes. And I encourage you to pray something along this line if you're a believer. It says this, O Lord, I have no graces by nature. I have no power to cleanse my own heart. I have defaced your image, but I cannot repair it. I can say with the apostle that when I want to do well, evil is present with me. But I find no means to do what I desire. Oh, when when will I be set free to do the work of God and run the race of his commands? If only I had hope, joy, and love. Lord, I have heard of your power. You call things that are not as if they were. If you desire it, you can work in me these graces just as you gloriously created them in Adam. Lord, I have also heard of your grace and truth. You are faithful to keep, as you, uh, to keep as you are generous to make these precious promises. Your grace is unsearchable. Your word is purer than silver, seven times refined. Oh, make good your promises. Replenish me with your grace. Christian, I, just, I love this. The more and more I, I study this is... God is not offended by asking for more grace. (laughs) More grace, more grace. You take this time of reflection just to ask God for more grace in your life. You can begin to play.
and how only the death of your son can make you forget, remember no longer our sins. It shows how evil and vile our hearts really are in light of who you are. And then to know that your son's death not only erased our sins, but then gave us all these precious promises of the Holy Spirit of eternal life with you. That we can say with Paul, we see where sin abounds, grace superabounds. And Lord, I pray that there's no person that will leave here today without their confidence on Judgment Day being solely resting in your Son, Jesus. That we have nothing else to offer except for repentance and trust in Christ. And then, Lord, for those who, who, who walk around with guilt and shame, and it's so hard to confess it, but, but Jesus has, has taken it. They don't have to do that any longer. And Lord, I pray for those who have confessed their sin and committed their life to you today, that they would follow the next right step and go public with it in baptism. I thank you, Jesus, for your gospel. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming and being with us and doing your work. And we know you're going to continue to work even as we leave this place. You're awesome. We pray this in Jesus' strong name and all God's people say, amen. Amen. Got just a announcements that I want to share with you. And then uh, after I do, I just want to remind you that as soon as we're finished, especially now that we have a, a, a extra people in here on a Sunday morning, is that if you're going to fellowship, if you want to talk and chit-chat, which we encourage you to do, please, as soon as we, we dismiss, exit outside and fellowship outside around the corridor, okay? So please, please, please do that. I have just two quick things I want to share, and then I'll be done. Uh, next Sunday, we'll be only offering one 11 o'clock service, all right? And, and the limit now is 75, okay? Uh, so if you haven't RSVP'd, you can fill out that uh, tear-off panel on the back, check the appropriate Sunday and service time, and then you can drop it in the Dropbox and we'll add you to the list. Or you can text, and, and let me give this instruction. When you text RSVP to our text and church number, that's it. Like it's just the R, the S, the V, the P, no period, no space, nothing like that. All right. So you just send me those four letters can be capitalized or lowercase and then it will shoot you the form. All right. So I'll make sure I'm clear on that. Um, and then you can also go to our website and where it says reserve, click that and it'll open up the tab. But only one service next week. And then the last thing that I, in case you didn't get the email or see this on social media, uh, in the next day or two, you just got to give me some time to get the reservation form ready. Uh, we're going to open up the fellowship hall for ministry, okay? So this is not for parties, showers, or private reservations. Uh, this can be something that the various ministries of Mount Carmel utilize, Sunday school classes may utilize, but you can reserve the fellowship hall uh, to, to have your class meeting or Bible study or, or service project, however you want to do it. The biggest thing is you'll see this online and on the form is that you still have to maintain those same social 
uh, distancing guidelines that we have up here. So keep your people six feet apart. You got to wash down, you know, everything when you get done. Only one person in the restroom at a time. If you've been up here in a service, you know what you ought to do. Uh, where if people have materials, they need to take it home with them. You don't need to be collecting them and stacking them up and making a box of COVID. Do everybody get what I'm saying? Uh, so that's what I'm asking you to do. Uh, so you'll you'll see. I'll send you an email or a, a text when that form goes live. And uh, please, we want you to utilize that in fellowship as best we can. That's all that I've got for you today. Thank you so much for coming to worship with us. Uh, Brother Rick's going to come and lead us in one last worship song. I've never been on public whatever. This is unscripted, so y'all forgive me, but um, today is our anniversary, and I just want to say publicly that um, 23 years with this man, plus the time we dated, has been um, the highlight of my life, and for those of you who know us, um, you know, we've dealt with a lot of things in our lives, and he has too, and he's done that with grace, and I'm so very thankful for every day that we have together, and um, he has to go to Emory on Wednesday, so I'd like a prayer for that as well. But uh, I just, and our kids, just thank y'all for raising them. It took the village. So, that's it. Jason, I don't know how you're going to top that, son. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank y'all. Y'all are such a blessing to our church and our family. And all of you are as Christians and the Holy Spirit working within us and teaching us how to love one another and forgive and have grace and mercy and all the things that he is. It's just a wonderful thing. And this last song, it's in your bulletin, Onward Christian Soldiers. That's really what we are. We're, we're a soldier for Christ. And that don't mean we... Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.